The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. We have been this summer spending our time in the Apostles' Creed. We come now to the, the third major section that begins, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. So, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. It's on page 976 of a Blue Pew Bible, or if you've got another Bible, you can find that there. Uh, in the New Testament, Ephesians is right after the book of Galatians. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, and I'll also let you know that uh, if you, you know, keep a mark in Ephesians, we are going to be spending a little bit of time in John's Gospel as well, uh, especially John 14, 15, 16. So it's going to be important for you to have your Bible open, available, ready to go as we turn to a few different places. But we are thinking this morning about the Holy Spirit. Uh, as you uh, prepare to have your Bible ready, maybe you can just glance back at the creed that's printed in your bulletin there. And uh, I'll apologize for, for mixing up two of the last articles there uh, at the end as we recited the creed. But you'll see how the third section begins. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So just pause and appreciate how the Apostles' Creed has a Trinitarian shape, doesn't it? We confess the creating work of the Father, the redeeming work of the Son, and the recreating work of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Apostles' Creed has a Trinitarian shape to it. And uh, I'll say to you, as I've often been saying as we walk through these Apostles' Creed studies together, uh, that... Uh, that in Sunday school we covered a lot of ground that we're not going to repeat per se, but we spoke a lot about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That's important because there is in the Christian church a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. A great deal of confusion. And very quickly, just to touch on something about this, the Holy Spirit is not a thing or a force. The Holy Spirit is not, to use the Star Wars metaphor, the force, the Holy Spirit, is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, before we get into our text in Ephesians, I just want to address very quickly an aspect of language that some of you might be wondering. Uh, we are confessing in our services an updated English language version of the Apostles' Creed, but many of you perhaps grew up with a version of the Creed in which you confess, I believe in the Holy Ghost. Or sometimes when we say the Lord's Prayer, we use the terminology of ghost rather than spirit. And if you've ever scratched your head and wondered why, just very quickly, uh, the reason why sometimes uh, the Scriptures or the Apostles' Creed uses the word ghost instead of spirit is because the English translation of the Apostles' Creed from the 15th century uses the word ghost to refer to the soul or the soulish aspect uh, of, of, of mankind, the soulish, the spiritist aspect of man. And so scriptures oftentimes in the English language will translate the word as ghost rather than spirit because at that time it was the nomenclature to use the term ghost. Uh, in Hebrew, it's the word ruach. In Greek, it's the word pneuma, but in the ancient English language, ghost meant spirit. 
And so in updated English language, we use the term spirit rather than ghost to say you have a soul rather than you have a ghost or the Holy Spirit rather than the Holy Ghost. And that's helpful, isn't it, largely because the term ghost takes people an entirely different direction in the modern English versions, right? People hear ghost and they think something else. They don't think soul. They don't think spirit. But that's the original use of the language and just to give you that background. Anyway, we want to illuminate what the Bible says about what we believe about the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that as a Christian, when you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we have to know what we're talking about and what it means and especially the beautiful benefit of believing in the Holy Spirit. So that's what we want to consider today. So if you've got your Bible open there in Ephesians 1, let's pray and we will ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures as we hear it together this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray now that as you have sent your Son into the world to accomplish our salvation, our redemption, and as you have received your Son back to your right hand, we pray that as you have sent the Holy Spirit into the world to inspire the Scriptures and to remain in the world to illuminate the Scriptures to us, we ask that that Holy Spirit would be present as we read the Scriptures, as we seek to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Scriptures, as we seek to live faithfully as followers of Jesus in the world. And so, Lord, come now to bless your word to us for understanding, for application, for transformation that we might grow today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be reading uh, from Ephesians 1, starting at verse 3, but our principal uh, interest is in verse 13 and 14, but just for the context, uh, we're going to be reading Paul's spiritual blessings in Christ as he outlines the glories of the gospel message. Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 3, this is the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, in which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The Word of God abides forever. May He write its eternal truth on our hearts today. So, we believe in the Holy Spirit. 
What I want you to appreciate about what Paul is writing here in Ephesians is, uh, one, how beautifully he speaks about the glories of the gospel and how he does so in Trinitarian format. He speaks of the work of God the Father, the work of God the Son, the work of God the Spirit. And as we've been unpacking the Apostles' Creed, we have been enumerating the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And we come today to the work of God the Holy Spirit. When we say as Christians, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we are confessing what the Apostles' Creed summarizes as the Bible's teaching, which is that the Holy Spirit is truly and eternally God of the same substance with the Father and the Son, that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the glorious eternal Trinity. Christian believers are Trinitarian believers. That is that we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But one of the things about the Trinity, because it's a glorious and mysterious doctrine, is that we oftentimes gravitate to the works of God the Father and God the Son and we consign to mystery the reality of the Holy Spirit. We put the Spirit aside and would rather focus on the Son and the Father because they are more easily attainable to us. And when we do that, when we consign the Holy Spirit only to mystery and we don't consider the person and work of the Spirit, we are actually missing out on an essential aspect of God the Father and God the Son as they reveal to us God the Holy Spirit. So we want to think about who is the Holy Spirit? What is it that the Holy Spirit does? What does it matter for us as Christian believers to believe in the Holy Spirit? So we're going to be using this text from Ephesians 1, especially verses 13 and 14, to apply the blessings and benefits of believing in the Holy Spirit. But one of the best ways to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to see Jesus' own words explaining to us the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, as I said, we're going to be doing some flipping. So if you keep something in Ephesians chapter 1 and turn left with me to John's Gospel, John chapter 14, we'll start in John 14, uh, we will look at Jesus' own words to explain the ministry and purpose of the Holy Spirit. So, as you're turning left to John's Gospel in John chapter 14, uh, what we are looking at is a section of John's Gospel that's called the Upper Room Discourse. And it's called the Upper Room Discourse because Jesus is meeting with his disciples in what's called the upper room. It's the night of Jesus' arrest, and this is, of course, where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, uh, and that comes at the end of this upper room discourse. But prior to the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus spends concentrated moments to teach the disciples some very key and essential realities. And the reason why Jesus spends such concentrated efforts to speak so directly to the disciples is because he is preparing them for the reality that he's going to leave them. Jesus is saying to the disciples in the upper room, 
I'm going to leave you. But when I leave you, I'm not going to abandon you. Because by my leaving, I will send to you my spirit. My departure from this world will result in my sending of what he calls the helper or the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises not to abandon his disciples, not to leave them on earth, but to send to them the Holy Spirit. So, when we have been walking through the Apostles' Creed and confess together that Jesus has ascended back into heaven and is seated at the right hand, we meant that Jesus is physically located in heaven. But because we believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we can say that Jesus is here with us by his Holy Spirit. And Jesus is teaching that to his disciples as he unfolds for them many different aspects of who the Spirit is and what the Spirit is coming to do. Now, if we wanted to spend hours and hours and hours, we could unpack every single thing that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John 14 to 17. Uh, I spent time this past week unpacking as many details as I could find, and in certain verses, I found six different promises per single verse about what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit. So there is enumerated details, but I want to emphasize four aspects about what Jesus is saying about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is coming to do as Jesus ascends back to the Father. So, who is the Holy Spirit and what is He coming to do? Let's first look at John 14. Look with me at verse 15, 16, and 17. You'll see the heading there. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 14 at verse 15, He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper. That word could also be translated as advocate or counselor. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Jesus says again, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Here's Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, saying that the Father will send the Helper, who is the Spirit of truth. And the unbelieving world doesn't know him. The unbelieving world can't receive him. But you who believe, you do know him. You do receive him. And what the Holy Spirit comes to do, Jesus says, is he comes at the end of verse 17 to dwell in you. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within, to take up residence in the life of the Christian believer. The way the Bible explains the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to come live within the Christian. In the Old Testament, it would speak of the ministry of the Spirit as coming upon people to empower them. But in the New Testament, the Spirit comes to live within, comes to dwell within you in such a way as we can say, God, by His Holy Spirit, lives in the Christian. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, Jesus says. 
And as he dwells in you, he will do various things. Look at verse 25. John 14 at verse 25, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Verse 26, But the Helper, again, that language. Jesus clarifies exactly who he's talking about. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, as a helper, will come to teach you. Jesus was there on earth teaching audibly, and the disciples sat at his feet to learn of Jesus. But when Jesus goes back up to heaven, he is no longer with them bodily, but Jesus says, my spirit will come to you and will teach you the things that I have taught you will apply my teachings to you that you might learn and grow and you will remember the things that I have said to you. So you can imagine then the pressure on the disciples thinking, good grief, we can't remember everything that you've taught us. You've been teaching us three years. How are we going to know? How are we going to know what to say? How are we going to remember what you taught us? Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come to help you, to teach you, to help you to remember what I have taught you. The Spirit comes to dwell within us, comes to teach us. Jesus says more about this as we continue on. Skip ahead to chapter 15. At the end of John chapter 15, in verses 26 and 27, Jesus adds additionally, John 15, 26 says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he, that is the Holy Spirit, He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says, I have come to you from my Father. The Father has sent me into the world to accomplish your salvation. I am going to leave this world. I'm going back to the Father's right hand. But the Father and I will send the Spirit who will come to you. And what He's going to do is, verse 27, bear witness. He will reveal the truth. And He will cause you to bear witness about Me. That is to say, because we've been following along, Jesus has said, the Holy Spirit is going to come to live within you. He's going to cause you to remember and be taught by My will and by My Spirit. And the Spirit who has come to dwell in you and to teach you is the Spirit who is going to bear witness about Me through you. You will be my witnesses as the Spirit comes to dwell within you, teach you, and cause you to bear witness about me. The ministry of the Spirit comes to dwell, comes to teach, comes to bear witness. And also, look at John 16 at verse 13 and 14. We'll pick it up in context. John 16, verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13 when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, He, that is the Spirit, will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine, therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Here Jesus says that the Holy Spirit declares the truth, reveals the truth, 
seals the truth and confirms the truth. And what Jesus is talking about here in chapter 14, 15, 16, and in 17, all these details Jesus is saying is this will be true when I send my Holy Spirit to you. And that happens in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes upon the disciples after Jesus ascends. But before that happens, Jesus explains what the Holy Spirit is coming to do. Coming to dwell in you. Coming to teach you. Coming to bear witness. Coming to reveal the truth to you. And all of that happens when the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts. So turn with me into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Just one more book to the right in Acts. In the New Testament. Acts chapter 2. Flip ahead there. Acts chapter 2. Jesus has promised what will be true when the Holy Spirit comes. Acts chapter 1 is the ascension. Jesus returns to the Father. And then in Acts chapter 2, at verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That is, the disciples, verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus said would happen in the upper room discourse. I will leave you when I go. I will send my spirit. He will come upon you to do all of these things. To dwell within you. To teach you. To confirm the truth and bear witness. To reveal the truth. This is who the Holy Spirit is. He is the third person of the Trinity. This is what the Spirit does. Comes to teach, to dwell, to reveal, to glorify Christ. So let's pause for a second. And think about this. As we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I was speaking with somebody on Friday. Uh, I just met them. Didn't, didn't know them before. Uh, and just kind of in casual conversation. Resulted in speaking about other things. And he was telling me that uh, he grew up in the church. Um, but, you know, walked away from it. Wasn't interested. But has since found a renewed interest in the church, a renewed interest in the Bible, a renewed interest in Christ, and it started out of a desire to be a good example to his son, because he grew up, his mother just took him to church, and his father never went with them, and he realized that he was doing the exact same thing, and he looked at his young son and thought, I don't want to set that example for him, I want to break the pattern in our family's tradition, I want to go with him, and, but he was telling me all these things, he says, you know, I can't explain it, and it really doesn't make any sense to me, but the Bible is so much more interesting to me than it ever has been. Jesus is so much more fascinating to me than he ever was. I mean, I know stories or whatever, but it's lovely to think about Jesus. He says, it just makes so much more sense to me than it ever has. Now, I'm listening to this, and I just, you know, smile and, and listen, because spiritually I un understand what he's saying. He wouldn't explain it this way, but what he is saying is that the Holy Spirit has come to what? Dwell in me and to teach me and reveal Christ to me and to make him of interest to me. Where previously I had no interest, I have an interest. I believe in Jesus. What he didn't have the equipage of vocabulary to articulate at that moment, which is totally fine, is to say what Jesus says in John 14, 15, 16. The Holy Spirit has come to teach me, 
The Bible's interesting to me. I want to learn. I want to grow. When the Spirit comes upon us, comes to live within us, we have an interest in Christ. We have a desire to know Him, to grow in Him, to follow Him, to obey Him. That is, Jesus says, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying as we go back to the book of Ephesians. So go back to where we originally started in Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll see how the Apostle Paul explains this. There are many things that we could say about the Spirit. There are many things about the ministry of the Spirit that we could emphasize. But what we primarily want to focus on is that it is the purpose of the Spirit of God coming into the world to glorify and emphasize Jesus. To proclaim the gospel to us and seal us and unite us to Christ in such a way that we say, the Bible's not boring anymore. I'm interested. Jesus isn't lame to me anymore. I'm intrigued. That is the ministry of the Spirit. So the way the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians 1, after he articulates this massively beautiful Trinitarian proclamation of the gospel, he gets to the work of the Spirit in verse 13, saying, In Him, that is Jesus, in Jesus Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, that is in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of of his glory. Here is Paul saying, listen, Christian, here's how this happens. You hear the gospel, it's proclaimed to you the glories of Christ, the perfections of his obedient life, his willing sacrifice, though he was innocent, dying in your place for the forgiveness of your sins, rising in triumphant resurrection over sin, death, the grave, ascending into heaven. When you heard that, the Apostle Paul says, you responded not with rejection but with faith with faith see how he says it when you heard verse 13 the word of truth the gospel of your salvation you believed you heard and you believed and upon hearing and upon believing you received still in verse 13 a seal a guarantee, a declaration, and that sealing, that promise is the Spirit of God. That's what he says in verse 13. We hear the gospel, we believe the gospel, and the hearing is a work of the Holy Spirit, and the believing is a work of the Holy Spirit, and upon hearing by the Spirit and believing by the Spirit, we are sealed by the Spirit. And all of that, the hearing, the believing, the sealing, Paul says, is all the ministry of the Spirit of God. Verse 14, who is the guarantee, or that could be translated, the down payment of an inheritance. Here's how Paul explains the gospel to you. You're a Christian believer. By believing in Jesus, you have the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of an eternal inheritance of eternal life and glory. And even though you don't live there right now, the Holy Spirit is a down payment, is a guarantee that that is your reality. 
that you are a heavenly citizen, that you have your sins forgiven, that you will dwell with God in His presence for all eternity, and the Holy Spirit. It is the ministry of the Spirit to help you to hear the gospel, to cause you to believe, to seal you. So here's what I'm saying. This is what Paul is saying. Faith. Faith is the ministry of the Spirit of God. Faith is not something that you create. Somebody says, well, what is faith? And what does it mean to believe? To, to believe is to receive, trust, and obey. But the fact that you do that, Paul says later on in Ephesians, is a work of the Spirit of God. Now hear what I'm saying very clearly to you. If you're a Christian, it's because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit who has caused you to believe. Not because you worked faith up on your own, but because faith was granted to you by God. You've received the forgiveness of your sins, not because you did something to receive it, but because the Holy Spirit grants to you faith to receive the forgiveness of your sins and seals all of that to you. The hearing, the believing, the sealing is a work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Paul will later on say in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, that no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit of God. No one can say Jesus is Lord. And the confession, Jesus is Lord, is what it means to be a Christian. But nobody can say, I am a Christian, and mean it sincerely if they are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit to teach, reveal, grant faith, and seal all of the promises of the gospel. This is the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Some people think the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit is fundamentally revealed through extraordinary external acts and charismatic expressions that cause you to run up and down church aisles and speak in crazy languages and do strange things. And while that may be the case early on in the New Testament, it is not the continuing evidence of the New Testament that the primary work of the Spirit is to sensationalize your Christian experience. No. The primary work of the Spirit of God is to create a Christian experience. To grant you faith to cause you to believe, to cause you to receive the teaching of the Bible as the Word of God, because you can't do that apart from the Spirit. If you have ever read the Bible and said, oh, that makes sense to me, I believe it, that is the work of the Spirit of God. That is the great work of the Spirit to give you faith. Now, there are many questions still, to be sure, far more than we have time to address now. People talk about the necessity of discerning the Spirit and grieving the Spirit or not grieving the Spirit and what all of that means. But just as a word of kind of finality, a word of conclusion, this is the baseline expectation. It is the work and ministry of the Spirit of God to lead you to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit's role to reveal Christ to you, to unite you to Christ, to cause you to grow in Christ, to cause you to obey Christ. It is the ministry of the Spirit to lead you to Christ again and again and again. And if that's not what's happening, it's not the work of the Spirit. Why do I say that? Because from time to time you will hear people say things like, you know, I really feel like God wants me to do this or this or that. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to to do such and such and such. People even suggesting things like, 
I really feel like the Lord is leading me to, to leave my wife and run off with my coworker and be happy. It is not the ministry of the Spirit to lead you to sin. It is the ministry of the Spirit to lead you away from sin in repentance and lead you to Christ and lead you into obedience and lead you into a growing faith and lead you to Christ again and again and again. So therefore, it is not the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead you into temptation. It is not the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead you into disobedience. It is not the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead you into pursuing your own happiness at the expense of obeying God. But rather, it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead you to confess your short temper and the way you lose your patience with your spouse or your children. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead you to confess your unforgiveness and your selfishness rather than your sacrificial love for your family when you choose your own leisure rather than giving yourself to your spouse and children. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit when you feel that conviction of sin that doesn't condemn you but leads you to the grace of repentance to change. And so when we corporately do that together on the Lord's Day and you feel the Spirit of God searching your heart, calling to mind those things that you must turn away from, that is the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead you to Christ again and again and again, to turn you away from yourself, to turn you away from your uh, selfishness and your disobedience and your arrogance and your pride that says, I'm fine, I'm all good, I don't need your help, I'm all on my own and I'm set. No, the ministry of the Spirit leads you to Christ again and again and again to believe in Jesus, to obey Jesus, to glorify Jesus. It is through the work and ministry of the Spirit without whom we could not do any of those things. Without the Spirit, we cannot believe. Without the Spirit, we cannot obey. Without the Spirit, we cannot glorify. But with the Spirit, we can believe. We can obey. We can glorify. Not perfectly, but by the grace of the Spirit causing us to grow, increasingly so, more and more. Do you believe in Jesus more today than you used to? Do you trust Him more today than you used to? Do you desire to obey Christ and follow Him more today than you used to? If that's true, it's because of the ministry of the Spirit of God leading you to Christ. And so, dear church, when we say we believe in the Spirit of God, we say, I believe in the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and I believe that the Spirit has come to lead me to Christ. That is the work of the Spirit. I pray that the Spirit is active in your life to lead you to Christ again and again and again, that we might grow in Christ all the more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have indeed sent your Son into the world and by his righteous accomplishment have sent also your Spirit to apply to us the benefits of Jesus. Help us to believe in Christ again and again and again to receive the perfections of his merit over and over, to rest in Christ, to abide in Christ, for that is indeed the work of your Spirit. Lord, seal that to our hearts and strengthen us to live in the power of your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit Edgington epc.org. May God bless and keep you.